There's always been a bright side to living in downstate Illinois. Amron, Illinois is making it even brighter with a little help from the sun. Right now, we're building a next generation solar facility to bring you cleaner energy for generations to come. It's good for the environment, your neighborhood, and everyone living in downstate Illinois. That's brighter thinking. That's energy at work. Learn how you can participate in solar programs at amronillinois.com slash renewables. And welcome on in to Huddle Up with Howard here on ClavesOnline.com. I'm Joe Roderick, in for my Claiborne this week, joined alongside by Mizzou Hall of Famer Howard Richards. Howard, hello. Hey, Joe. How are you? It's uh, always good to see your face, my friend, uh, especially when I see Claves all the time, but I don't get right. to see you nearly enough. So It's uh, nice to switch things up a little bit and kind of uh, move around and do a few different shows here on uh, on Claves Online. And if you haven't checked it out yet, check out uh, the all-new look for ClavesOnline.com. Before we get started, Howard, I, I, know I see you're you know still in a uh, dress shirt and, uh, and the blazer um, as you, um, you just came from um, the uh, – funeral of a uh, dear friend of yours yes uh mr martin matthews who's one of the co-founders of the matthews dickey boys clubs matthews dickey boys and girls clubs now uh which is now part of the boys and girls clubs of st louis uh passed away last week and his funeral service was today and i'll just say this the impact that mr matthews had on the st louis community uh, I think it's immeasurable. Uh, virtually every uh, person that ever you know played little league sports and went on to play at the collegiate level and certainly um, in professional sports, you know, be it NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, or the NFL, uh, probably at some point uh, went through the doors at Matthews Dickey Boys Club. I was one of them, you know, in the in the late '60s. Uh, grew up with a, a number of guys that you could just start naming them off and they've probably uh, had some experience there. Um, so we paid tribute um, and, and celebrated the life of Mr. Martin Matthews today. And uh, it was kind of a star-studded affair, but uh, I, I would expect nothing less for a man that uh, meant a lot to the St. Louis community, especially uh, St. Louis families and St. Louis youth. Uh, yeah, I know Claves talked about him uh, as well during our Monday show, the uh, the lunch with Claves and Joe. If you want to go hear what uh, Claves had to say about him, and I know Claves spoke at the uh, at the funeral service today, as uh, as well. Before he heads out of town to uh, much warmer climates than what we're dealing with here in St. Louis. But uh, Howard, I want to start off by talking about some of the news here from the uh, in the NFL today because. The, uh, the it just came across about 10, 15 minutes ago. In fact, I'm not sure if you saw the uh, the news yet that the Buffalo Bills and Cleveland Browns game this uh, this Sunday is being moved to Detroit. The uh, the city of Buffalo was uh, apparently going to get. <laughs> I mean, you thought we got a little bit of snow at least over here in the uh, the Belleville area this past weekend. Buffalo is set to get three to six feet of snow. Feet. 
<laughs> of snow this uh, this weekend. So the NFL, being proactive, decided to move the game to Detroit, uh, which also works out because the Bills actually play in Detroit on Thanksgiving on Thursday. So I'm sure they could just find a practice field and just hang out there for a couple days before uh, before Thursday's game. So before we get into their decision to move it, I want to hear what is the worst field uh worst playing conditions snow wise that you ever had to deal with during your playing career it would have actually been in high school um heavy rains on uh the field that i played on you know for for those that know or familiar with the the, the high school central visual performing arts where the, the recent school shooting was where they used to be named southwest high school uh, so as with most of the public high school fields, uh, there was never really what we call grass on those fields. It was mostly weeds. And usually by the time the season started after, you know, your, your early training camp uh, was over, um, <laughs> there was no more grass or very little grass or weeds, if you will. So when, whenever it would rain uh, during the fall, uh, and especially this one particular year, I think it was my junior year in high school, we had some heavy, heavy rains, back-to-back uh, -back weeks. And, I mean, literally playing in mud. After the first quarter, you could not determine which team was which because it was we had mud, you know, from head to toe, covered, completely covered in mud. Uh, I think the only differential was um, uh, the helmet colors. That was probably the only way that you could actually distinguish between uh, which team was which. Um, but, you know, in college, I, I never – I think maybe one game where we had a little bit of light rain, uh, nothing on our home field in Columbia at Froh Field. Um, the worst conditions I ever played in in the NFL um, was probably cold weather um, uh, up in New York. But but really, rain was really the only thing that uh, I think affected us. So I guess I dodged that bullet from the standpoint of uh, – what people are going to be dealing with in Buffalo here very shortly. So you got lucky and never had to play a December game in, uh, in, in Green Bay and Lambeau. You know, every time we played Green Bay, it was always in Dallas. Um, and maybe that's a good thing because Dallas has not played well <laughs> at Green Bay at all. And the heartbreaker on Sunday was just, oh my goodness, Dallas should have won that game by two or three touchdowns. Um, but hey, that this is the way it is. So no, no, did not have to go to uh, the the confines of uh, the Cheeseheads in Green Bay. What a uh, this past week, this past Sunday in the NFL. Uh, you look at all of the different storylines that we saw play out. A game of the year in Buffalo between the Vikings and the Bills, and, and that was just. And I, first off, to start the day, you had a, the first ever game in Germany, mm -hmm. which ended up being an exciting game, and the fans were just so into it and made that an experience to just watch along with the game on the field. Then you go into a Vikings Bills game at noon to uh, to kick off the games there right into that game, the the Sunday game of the week on Fox between the Packers and the Cowboys. I, you were just going from one game to the next on Sunday, just giving you nonstop action all day. Yeah, well, it was a little early for me to catch the the, the Tampa Bay-Denver uh, game. Um, but, man, that Vikings and Bills game, what – I mean, how horrendous of an ending for the Bills. Something that you take for granted. The quarterback center exchange. I mean, 
you, you can't start a play without that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what killed the Bills. There was a mishandled uh, snap. Uh, the quarterback didn't handle the snap from the center. He fumbled it. The ball bounced back into the end zone, and an alert Minnesota defender fell on it for a touchdown. And that's all Buffalo had to do was either get the ball, take a knee, uh, either move it forward, pass the goal line, or take a safety there, and there probably would not have been uh, enough time for the Vikings to come back and win that game, Uh, which shows you that every play counts. Every single play counts. And if you take anything for granted, uh, you'll get beat. And Buffalo is is the latest testament of that. Uh, when you look at how that ending played out, I know we're, we're Monday morning quarterback in this still, all, all the way on Thursday. But when you look at the options that the Bills had on that goal line play, you have a quarterback that can run. One of the most versatile running quarterbacks in the NFL why Maybe not why not snap it to him let him run around the back of the end zone a bit and just waste time, maybe throw the ball away to a receiver that's running an out, right? I mean, something out of bounds and run that three times and see how much time you run off the clock before then maybe taking a safety and then punting them the ball with no time left. I mean, you, you have that option back there with Josh Allen. Well, that's true. It, it's very true. So, you know, it comes down to how you manage the clock. Um and this is why I'm a, a big fan of protecting. First of all, communicating. You got to communicate with your team, but you've got to protect those timeouts in the second half. They're so sacred. Um, and, and listen, if you don't have to call a timeout early in the game, especially if it, if you looks like the game is going to be a relatively close one, don't call timeouts. You know, you can communicate with your team during TV timeouts. Uh, with whatever it is you need to do. But these guys should be far better versed um, at just kind of managing things on the field as professionals instead of, you know, burning timeouts unnecessarily. Because at the very end there, you you may very well need those timeouts to really talk about a specific situation that you see that you may not have been prepared for. And if you don't have one, then uh, you're virtually screwed. So that win takes the Vikings now to eight and one on the uh, on the season. Uh, really, I mean that's the surprise of the NFL. I, I think this year is the Vikings being eight and one. Not the fact that they're good, but that good right now on a seven game win streak, exactly. and now tied for first in the NFC with the Eagles, who who lose. That Eagles loss has to make that Cowboys loss too hurt just a little more because finally, finally, you're waiting for that NFC East to maybe get a little closer, and it does, but the uh, the Cowboys fall short. But right now, I believe all four NFC East teams are in playoff positions uh, here going into the next uh, to week eleven of the season. Yeah, they are, especially in the East. I think they're just you know. Uh... The Eagles are, are leading division, of course. Then it's the Giants a game back, Dallas two games back, and Washington three games back. Um, and, of course, Dallas has to play all of those teams. They'll start by playing the Giants on Thanksgiving Day. Um, they'll play – I can't remember when they play Washington again, but they play the Eagles on Christmas Eve. So, you know, all those games in between, the Cowboys really, you know, kind of have themselves in the driver's seat. If you can, Certainly if you can go through – uh, and get your division game out of the way and get those wins, uh, then you're you know sitting much, much better than you were beforehand. But yeah, these losses in midseason, late in the season, you, you've you've got to 
you've got to do something to overcome uh, those types of losses. Midseason bad play, like Dallas's defense just just wasn't up to snuff. Um, but of course, the two interceptions is what really hurt hurt them. Uh, a lot of people blaming Dak, but really they were the mistakes of the receivers, both uh, Dalton Schultz and CB Lamb. Uh, those things have to be corrected. You would expect that at this point, you you know, that communication, that level of experience between those those two receivers and the quarterback would, would be much better. Now, things happen, but listen, um, you can't afford to have those types of um, mishaps, especially uh, close to your goal line, especially in the red zone. It's um, what's really um, surprising, too, going into this week. Dallas now travels to Minnesota, taking on the 8-1 and one Vikings. Dallas is the favorite in this mm-hmm. game. They are a point and a half favorite right now for for this game coming off a loss going to a going to Minnesota. If it was in Dallas, I can maybe understand that. If Vikings would have just lost, I could maybe understand that. So mm-hmm. what in your as you look at this, why are the Cowboys favored in this game? I think because the way that the Vikings have all their seven wins have come. I mean, literally by the skin of their teeth. Um, It's been amazing that a team that really hasn't always been the most productive, haven't always played the best defense, they are finding a way to win. And that's the one thing that scares me about uh, going to Minnesota and playing. Now, you know, Dallas went there last year and played with a backup quarterback um, and was able to come away with a win. I'm certainly the Vikings will will uh, be cognizant of that and will want to advantage that. But uh, And Dallas will certainly want to play much better than it did against Green Bay. Um, so, you know, you know, maybe I think it's it's probably – Vegas probably looks at it as, the, you know, the Vikings uh, don't quite have it all together. Um, but but dang it, if you, if you look at the way Dallas played against Green Bay, you'd say, hmm, maybe Dallas doesn't have it all together either. So I was a little surprised to see – that they're favored by, I guess it's probably a point and a half. Point and uh, a half, yeah. Yeah, uh, in Minnesota. But listen, uh, the folks in Vegas seem to know what they're talking about. Um, so let's let's hope that they're right. <laughs> At least I do. <laughs> <laughs> so we have so there are three wild card spots up for grabs. If uh, folks remember, they they added on to the playoffs last year, so it's only one buy in the playoffs for that number one seed. Then everybody else is playing. So as you look at the standings right now, you mentioned it. It's the Giants, it's the Cowboys, then the it's the 49ers and the Commanders um, right there with five wins each. Green Bay is sitting there at the, the fifth seed right now. So they're on the outside looking in. That win, though, is finally what they needed. They play tonight in Tennessee against the Titans. Do you still do you give Green Bay a chance at sneaking in there? I'd say you give Green Bay a chance because of one person. You know, the experience of Aaron Rodgers. Um, this Titans team is playing pretty well, though. Uh, I, I, I don't think they can go into Tennessee and beat the Titans. Um, so I, I think this is going to maybe hurt their chances a little bit more. But um, And I'm not sure who Green Bay has on the rest of its schedule. Uh, but this is an important game for the Packers. I mean, if somehow they could win it. And, um, you know, you, Aaron Rodgers is that wild card. He – somehow finds a way. He may not have nearly as much mojo this year. Uh, certainly doesn't have uh, the type of outside receiver weapons that he had due to the the, the loss of Devontae Adams. Um, but uh, it's hard to bet against the guy, you know. And Tennessee, um, 
they're just going to have to do what they do, play some defense and, and get Derrick Henry running. If they do that, then uh, they should not have a problem beating uh, the Packers at home. And the AFC, uh, for as deep as that NFC wild card might look right now with uh, that, I, I mean, it's it seems pretty set who the first six teams are in the AFC and the NFC uh, playoffs as we head into the Thanksgiving uh, games next weekend. But New England, the Chargers, the Bengals, and I guess the Colts. Do, do we throw? Do we throw them in there? Do you throw the Browns? I mean, the Browns are three and six. Deshaun Watson comes back next week. I mean, do do you give them any kind of chance in this either? Not yet. Um, I think you have to wait and see. A, will they actually start Deshaun Watson? Um, I I think Jacoby Brissett has an argument that. You know, for the next few games, he should probably be the starter. Maybe you work Sean Watson in slowly to see how he does, but the guy's really hasn't played football in two years. No. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would tend to stick with Brissett, um, but you know, I'm not coaching that team. So. <laughs> 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 but I wonder what the mindset is of the other players. Do, do would they prefer to go with Brissett since he's been the guy that's that's led them to? Uh, actually, they've had some. They, they've played probably better than their record indicates. I think. Yeah. Um, and you got Nick Chubb. You've got some weapons there. Uh, they just haven't been able to put it together. I don't know that Sean Watson is going to add that much this soon to this team. So we'll see what happens. So it'll be interesting watching them. Uh, we, you know what? We know who the top teams are. We know who the Super Bowl contenders are. We're just talking about you know that seventh and sixth seed going into the playoffs. That. I don't. I think it's so. It's. I think both conferences are so top heavy that those six and seven seeds probably don't matter as much. But it's still, you know, they there's always a chance they get in there, they get one upset before they face the real big boys in the uh, in the later rounds of the playoffs. So yeah, always fun to uh, talk about. And uh, you know what? We're we're probably a week or two away from getting those emails about what all the scenarios are for the playoffs, <laughs> too. <laughs> and those are they're those, coming. <laughs> Those are always fun to see. We uh, the ones that we don't know though, the ones that are completely out of the hands of actual standings, are uh, are what we see in college football in the uh, the college football rankings right now. There are four teams that are undefeated. We know that all four of those teams will not end the season undefeated because Michigan and Ohio State have to play each other coming up here very soon. So when you look at the standings and you look at the college football selection committee standings right now, as uh, we are 10 and 0, you have four teams right now that are 10 and 0. How do you see this playing out? So the four teams are Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU at all at 10 and 0. Um, We do know that Georgia's got to play in the SEC championship. Um, they're going to play LSU, which sits at number six. Eight and two, uh, yeah. Eight and two, uh, which is interesting. LSU, certainly, if they win the championship as an automatic qualifier, they're going to be in the playoff. Uh, I believe that's right. Uh, it'll be interesting to have the first eight and two, two-loss team among the top four. Do you? I mean, do you think that's a guarantee? I mean, they, you think them beating Georgia, I mean, does that – does that knock Georgia out of the top four then? Does that mean Tennessee doesn't have a shot at it? 
anymore after Tennessee's only loss came to Georgia? Does that mean USC has absolutely no chance at making it? I know. I And I wish I could get into the, the minds of those that are on the playoff committee. Um, I just don't know. Um, because of that reason, we, we, I, the system is flawed, as you know, it is, and I'm just, uh, I'm happy that it's going to be expanded to me not soon enough. Um, but this is the problem that you have, uh, because of these scenarios that you're going to get. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I don't think anyone knows the, right. the playoff committee probably doesn't know, although they're probably figuring out scenarios, you know, based on who's playing, mm-hmm. what they might do. But again, it'll also look like, you know, it'll be determined how those teams play in those games too. And I mean, when they expand to 12, okay. You get in the teams, you know, the Tennessee, the USC's, you get in maybe the Clemson's it's nine and one, you get in those teams that deserve it. And, but then, you know, we're, we'd be sitting here arguing who are, who deserves it more between Oregon and North Carolina, where it makes for some fun matchups. You get more schools into the mix, but even at nine and one, I mean, North Carolina is not, I don't see them as a threat to a team like Georgia. And then, you know, Oregon's already played Georgia this year. We already saw how that went. And they got spanked. Yeah, that's right. 49 to three. Yeah. And, you know, they've come back and they've won a lot of games since then. But I mean, that shows you, and yeah, it was the first week of the season, but it shows you just how much distance there is between a team like a Georgia and a team like Oregon, uh, the difference between one and 12 and what we're probably going to get when we do expand, it's going to be a bloodbath probably in that first week for some of these teams. Yeah, I would agree. Um, <laughs> but it, it makes it fun. I think that's why we all just kind of sit there yeah. and, and, and watch. I, I'm just not a fan of rankings per se, because, you know, most of, and, and Claves and I talk about this, most of those teams that are voted on, you know, are voted on by people that probably never even watch the games. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could you watch all these games in, a, in one weekend or a couple weekends unless you're going back every day watching, reviewing game tape? I just don't see how you do it. So I, I think they're just going by, you know, what the records are and what the score was, um, if I had to take a guess. Because uh, I know that those, <laughs> those voters are not watching every single game. They just can't. And what are you, I mean, what are they looking for? Because you could sit there and you could have four TVs up. You you can have four TVs going and you can start watching at 11 a.m. and watch all the way through the night. I mean, it's your job. It's one Saturday, one day a week to do that. But yeah, what little things are they looking for in those games? When you're watching Georgia play now in week 12, what are you looking at out of them? And when you look at a team like in Oregon, you go, okay, hey, when they played each other, it was a 46-point uh, difference. What are they both doing different now that you know would make Oregon worthy of that 12 spot? I think if, if, if you're just talking about Oregon, you'd have to look at how they rebounded after playing Georgia. You know, how many points did they score? How did they look doing it? How many points did they give up defensively? Um, and, and that's probably the gauge. Because if you're looking at four games on a Saturday – uh, you're looking at one game, you're missing the action on the other three. So you're not, as one person, you just can't see it all. Um, uh, unless someone's there sitting there with some kind of uh, uh, formula, if you will, and writing all these notes and plugging stuff into a computer, you know, based on a number of factors, uh, which to me, that's, that's, that takes the, uh, it takes the, the real eye test out of it by spitting out computer numbers. Uh, because, you know, it, it, there are a number of factors that 
that to me, you can take a team that looks good on paper or on the computer, but they just don't look great when you see them in a stadium on a field. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm just a bigger fan of, Hey, figure out the, the, the divisions, if you will, uh, conference champions, whatever case, put them in a bracket and let them play each other. Uh, that's what I'm a big fan of. Well, just like it is in the NFL with divisions Ian, let, and the best team may not be the overall winner, but the team that's playing the best uh, during the playoff run is a team that's going to, to win it all. We all, we all know that it's not always the best team that, that ultimately ends up as a champion. I mean, the year the Patriots went uh, 16 and 0, they yeah. got beat by the giants. You know, do, do you look at that season as a failure? Because they they won all their games except the last one, the Super Bowl. And if that's how you're measuring teams on Super Bowl wins, then yeah, I guess it was a failure. So we uh, we go into this weekend now, looking locally, looking at uh, at Mizzou. They will be at home this week, uh, taking on New Mexico State. Um, the Aggies is that uh, they're they're the Aggies, New Mexico Correct. or the Lobos, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. How much, uh, how much research have you done on these Aggies of New Mexico State going into this game? Four and five on the, uh, on the year. Mizzou is 28.5-point favorites. Well, I am kind of still in my work mode, um, studying, compiling stuff, looking at this team. You know, they're offensively, I think they're ranked maybe like, I don't know, 125, 126 or something. Uh, pretty far down the list. They – don't have a lot of weaponry. They're playing two quarterbacks, although they have a uh, a very experienced coach who, who's got a really good reputation. Jerry Kill is the head coach, formerly Former, uh, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, right? Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, in fact, in fact, uh, Jerry Kill, when he coached in Minnesota, was once beaten by New Mexico State. Oh. Uh, go figure. The team that he's now coaching. Um, but they, you know, they've had trouble, uh, you know, moving the football uh, against Power Five opponents. Um, and I think of the 13 or so touchdowns that they've scored, six or seven of them came early in the season against uh, Hawaii and some other school. Uh, so they've they've had their own struggles, uh, at least offensively. There's a couple of players on defense uh, that uh, Missouri will have to keep its eyes on. Don't ask me to recite their names because, <laughs> like I said, I hardly ever remember the names until uh, probably the morning of game day uh, <laughs> when, when I have to see them enough. But um, the Aggies will want to come to Columbia uh, with their their mind set on uh, sort of spoiling the party for Mizzou. Yeah, hey, if you beat Mizzou. A, a, you're beating uh, certainly an SEC team, but also you're knocking them out of bowl contention because Missouri has to win its next two games in order to become bowl eligible. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's just as important for Missouri. Of course, the way it got thrashed against Tennessee last Saturday, um, and the defense probably played its worst game all year for defense has been a top four defense. Uh, so certainly that group will want to prove that uh, – what we saw against Tennessee was more of an anomaly. Um, and we'll try to get back to the type of defense that had been playing for the, you know, the, the previous nine games. Um, so it, and, you know, offensively again, Missouri still struggles, but uh, they had, they're showing signs of getting better in places. Uh, they should be able to get healthy, if you will, quote, healthy, unquote, uh, against the Aggies. Um, 
probably will play a lot of players. You know, I don't know that that 28 point spread is uh, is accurate or not. But again, the folks in Vegas have a way of figuring it out. Um, so uh, if that is the case, then what I do hope is that you'll get to see some younger players from Missouri that you haven't seen. Uh, it'd be great to see Sam Horn, the backup quarterback that so many Missouri faithful would like to see play. Uh, and this 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 game is probably the last opportunity that you'll get a chance to see him unless Brady Cook somehow gets hurt um, against Arkansas and he would he would be the one to come in. So um, I, I'm looking forward to um, a big game. You know, it'll be good for Mizzou to get back in the win column and then with, you know, you take care of the Aggies and you got, you know, your biggest test of the year, are Arkansas. Uh, and, and that's a game that they'll have to win in order to become bowl eligible. How important is that going to be to uh, the tenure of Eli Drinkwitz to win that game against Arkansas and get bowl eligible? We, we know he just got the contract extension, but looking at this season and getting bowl eligible, how important is that going to be for him in the eyes of fans, recruits, uh, powers that be at Mizzou? Well, I think it's important. I said at the outset, regardless of, of what happened, uh, this season being Eli's third, that this was uh, the pivotal season for him because people wanted to see, I think, marked improvement, uh, not just in one area of of, uh, of the team, but in all areas, offense, defense, special teams. Now, I think everyone made the assumption, me included, that the offense would be uh, where the least amount of worries would be. And that just hasn't been the case. The defense is the, is the unit that has surprised the most people. Um, and, of course, defensive coordinator Blake Baker was rewarded because he got uh, a big extension also. Um, but, you know, so this being the pivotal year, next season, it, it would be great to get that bowl, uh, that bowl qualification and then get to another bowl game which means that, you know, in his first – he's he's qualified for a bowl each of his first two seasons. So you, you would love to be able to continue in that vein. Now it's just a matter of um, – it, it would be a drop-off, be a disappointment, but then next year is the, the critical season for him, I think. Uh, now more of your recruits, uh, more of the guys on your team are the guys that you brought in uh, as a head coach and a coaching staff. So you – you know, everyone always says, you know, I'll be better when I get my own folks here. Uh, and we'll see if that is actually the case here, you know, going into that fourth season, um, finding the right pieces, you know, whether there be kids that are coming out of, out of high school, young players or hitting the transfer portal to find uh, plugs that uh, you have areas that need to be filled in holes where you need to be that need to be filled. So um, I think, yeah, year four is definitely the, the critical year for him. Howard, uh, before we get going here, our uh, weekly picks, our weekly football picks that you can find the, uh, the results at clabesonline.com. You'll listen to weekend Joe, or you can see the standings over at clabesonline.com. Um, you are four games back of Frank Cusimano. Right oh, now, yeah, he uh, know, Frank Frank and Clabes was such a disaster for yeah. me. I yeah, mean, who would have ever thought that that those teams, the way they were, the, the picks that I made, all should have won. Of course, uh, TCU did beat, did beat Texas. Yes. That was my only saving grace last weekend. But uh, man, Dallas disappointed me, and I can't remember what the others. I've tried to forget about it. So you got let's hope so, that this yep. week will be better. 
Tennessee at South Carolina this week, USC versus UCLA, the Jets at the Patriots, and the Cowboys at the Vikings. Howard, that's uh, I, I still I still need your picks for uh, for that too. You you haven't sent that to me. The only thing you did was email back how terrible your picks were. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only guy that listens, Joe. I will have those picks to you uh, tonight for sure. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, before we uh, before we get out of here, um, I, I did this with uh, with Klaibs on Monday. I just want to remind everybody too. Our uh, our friend Jay Randolph Jr. is going through some uh, difficult times right now. Um, if you uh, if you could be so kind, go to jrandolphjr.com. You'll see his GoFundMe page there to uh, to help out with some of the things that he is uh, he's dealing with right now. That's jrandolphjr.com. Uh, and Howard, I imagine that you've uh, you've had quite a few run-ins with Jay over the uh, over the years at uh, at many events. He is uh, just a wonderful guy. You know, we've didn't know each other like best friends, but over the years, you know, through broadcasting, have gotten to know each other of course i respect uh his the family name the randolphs um and all of their contributions to the world of sports and praying for a miracle for for jay jr and uh if folks that are watching and listening you know please go and, and donate uh, because he needs your help he is howard richards i'm joe roderick in for mike claiborne this week on another edition of huddle up with howard sponsored as always by Amron, illinois and Munganass St. Louis Acura. If you missed any of the uh, live video version of it, you can go and listen to the entire podcast now at ClabesOnline.com. Have a great weekend of uh, football viewing. And Howard, enjoy the uh, the game at uh, Mizzou this weekend. Will do, Joe. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving, my friend, you and your family. You as well, as uh, we wish the same to everybody watching here on Huddle Up with Howard on ClabesOnline.com. As one of St. Louis's largest veteran-owned companies, St. Louis Acura knows what it means to serve. As we head into the holiday season, St. Louis Acura is collecting toys for tots for the United States Marine Corps and a clothing drive for local military charities and churches. Each donation can earn a gift from our boutique or a discount on a vehicle service or car wash. Please help us help others this holiday season. And thank you for helping St. Louis Acura become one of the area's top 50 fastest-growing businesses for 2021.